The Pacecast from Pace Communications, hosted by Anita Pace and very special guests. And my dad got so cross, he stood up and he said some expletives and he said, my son's going to fly the Concorde and walked out. <laughs> I know, it's an incredible story. We have built an incredible senior leadership team. We're only small. Um, the trust, loyalty, passion, commitment that we all have together. Um, a wise man once said to me, um, always employ people who have different skills or are better at stuff than you. One thing I've said to everybody, if someone comes in and they're in a bad mood, or they're in a great mood, we should know about it. And it might be something that's not work-related. The bus might be late, or they might have had a fight with their teenage daughter, or whatever it is. We can talk to them about it, especially with given mental health. I think being responsible means looking after everyone and making sure that they are respected and cared for in the way they need. Hello, and welcome to this month's Pacecast. I'm Anita Pace, and it's great to have you with us. This month, I'm delighted to say that our guest is Jill Marchbank. Jill is the Chief Executive of Rescue, outsourced contact centre with offices in Hull and Seam in Durham. <laughs> I do know this, honestly. Um, so, Jill, lovely to have you with us and thanks for coming in today. It's my pleasure. Um, as always, we've asked Jill to bring in an object that's meaningful to her and that can tell us a bit more about her and her life. So she's brought something in today with her. I don't know what it is, and I'm looking forward to seeing it and hearing more about it. So what have you brought in with you? Well, I brought in a picture of my girls, which is actually on my phone because I left the proper one at home. I'm not very organised, but um, I just thought I'd talk to you about my children because I'm incredibly proud of them both. Yeah, so let's hear a bit more about them then. So I have two daughters. Anna is 18, just done her A-levels, nervously waiting for her results. Um, and she applied to university at Oxford and Durham and UCL and didn't get into any of those. So she was mortified because she's predicted three A-stars. Oh. Um, so she had a bit of a moment about all that. And then she decided to take a year out. And last week, she applied for an internship um, through a company called The Intern Group and um, applied on the Wednesday, had an interview on the Friday and was accepted on Monday. And just before coming here today, I found out that they only accept 5% of the young people that apply. And the majority of those are uh, postgrads, so undergrad people who want to do an intern internship um, for a period of time uh, before they go on to further education. And she's got into that and it's in Melbourne which oh. is obviously where I'm from. I was so, going to say, I can hear the hint in your in your accent yeah. when you were talking then. The so it's incredibly exciting. So my parents are out there and my sister and, and, and stuff, but it's in PR and marketing. Oh, fantastic. So, so how long is that? Is that a year? It's only four months. Okay. And then she's going to come back. Oh no, she's going shark diving first in South Australia because she's strange like that. <sighs> and then she's going to come back and hopefully go to university in America. Oh, wow. How exciting. It's incredibly exciting for her, especially after the you know, knockbacks of the previous unis here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she gets to spend five months with my mates in Australia. So and is marketing lucky. something she wants to go into then? She actually wants to be an author um, and she wanted to do an internship in screenwriting. Um, but because she didn't have an undergrad, they wouldn't accept her. So um, she's doing PR and marketing, but it would be a good experience for her. She's Brilliant. done English language and English lit and history, so... It'll be Brilliant. a fantastic oh. experience anyway, won't it? Yeah. Oh, I'm envious if that's if I can say that. Um, so we, I, I do want to talk about Melbourne in a second, but that, Anna's your eldest, yeah. so your youngest. Tell Here's us Emily, about. she's 15, um, doing GCSEs next year. And um, I suppose her claim to fame is that she's an incredibly good high jumper, um, represented nor in Northerns and Nationals and wins most competitions that she enters. 
Um, unfortunately for her this year, she's had a serious knee injury, which has um, set her back and she's not competed for a couple of months, but uh, she's seeing a consultant. Hopefully we'll get sorted next week and then she can be back jumping for nationals on the 25th of August. Oh, wow. Fingers crossed. Um, athletics is something that's a bit, it's close to my heart. I used to do a bit of running in my day a long time ago. So, um, so how high is she jumping then? Her PB is 170. Wow. Okay. That's um, good. But she is six foot one. And is she? You can't tell from this, but I'm only five foot five. So, yeah, it's, she makes me feel like a very small person most of the yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I admire that. I admire that because there's a lot of dedication and commitment required to compete at that level. From the athlete and the parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my youngest, she's she does a bit of athletics. Um, so yeah, uh, I feel your pain being dragged around to athletics meetings. Come rain or shine, especially when it's in Chelmsford. Or somewhere like that, yes. or Middlesbrough. Mm. Never mind, you do it because they're good, so yeah, you have to take them where they need to go. Oh, well, as you say, something to be very proud of, you two girls. Absolutely. So let's pick up on the, the Melbourne story then, because as no surprise that there's a bit of Australian accent there. Um, you grew up in Melbourne, so tell us about that. It was, well, why did I leave, I think, is probably the biggest <laughs> question We can't go down me. that road. No, the know. reason we can't go down well, that road is because my husband's from Melbourne. And, oh, is he? Yes, he's from Melbourne, and... It's an, I live in, obviously, East Yorkshire, and it's a, a conversation we have a lot. But at least you get to go and travel there. We do. We go regularly, yeah. But anyway, so sorry. I went to school. Actually, I went to school for a couple of years in New Zealand, uh, just outside of Wellington, and then we went to Australia. Um, and it was, it was a massive culture shock. I remember, because I was born in England, and we went to New Zealand, and I'd never even had Can a Can I sh- just ask why? So why did you leave England to go to New Zealand? Uh, um, well, my brother is profoundly deaf. And so he's five years younger than me. And when he was born, he didn't get diagnosed until he was about 18 months old. And this is my parents' story, by the way, not my, obviously, I don't remember it. But the tech available for him as a young person in this country um, wasn't as good as that available in places like New Zealand and Australia. So the main reason we went is to get my brother the hearing aids and things that they had out there. So he's now got a cochlear implant, to be honest, but... um, yeah, that's why we went. Yeah, okay. But long way great. to go. Pardon? A long way to go for it. Well, he works for actually at Rescue um, and he's incredible in, in business intelligence. So uh, the support that they've given him and the degree he's achieved and everything yeah. is, is amazing. Oh, that's amazing, yeah. So New Zealand to Australia. Yeah, and then I went to school there, went to high school, uh, Campbell High, famous for um, Kylie Minogue and Danny Minogue going there. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was in the same year as Danny Minogue, but she's the older than me, let's be clear, by a year. That's a bit of a claim to, well, is it a claim to fame? I don't know. Do people know Danny Minogue is? I think most, well, they know Kylie. She, I was only there with her for one year. All right. Yeah. So what was, oh God, I'm going to go on a completely different track now. So what were they like, the Minogue <laughs> they're sisters? They've got, they've got a brother called Brendan, who's in the middle, um, and yeah. The forgotten Minogue. Well, he's not, he's actually a camera, he used to be, I don't know anymore, a cameraman for Channel 10. Oh, is <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> That's by the by. Probably don't need to be saying all this. No, that's all um, right. But yeah, so I went to Campbell High School and I went to the University of Melbourne. And I think my takeaways from growing up in Australia is I can play cricket, although we're probably not mentioning the Ashes. No. I can play Aussie rules football. Um, and I, I said to someone the other day when we went to see the cricket at Headingley, if you grow up in Australia and you can't hit a cricket ball or a tennis ball with a cricket bat, you may as well not turn up to any functions ever anywhere. So, yeah, that's that's my takeaways, but also the lifestyle is great. Although Melbourne does have seasons like the UK. Yeah, but the weather's it never not as, gets to zero. doesn't get to zero. No, or minus they, two, and it no. very rarely snows. No, no. And you only have to wear a coat for one month yeah. in August. 
Anyway, again, talking about Melbourne. Um, so, um, so you were there for how long? In oh, I don't know, um, twenty years. All oh, right, okay. And what prompted the move back to the UK? Well, I just, I, I worked for um, an outsourced company called Salesforce, which is privately owned by an incredible man called Kevin Panosa, and I worked for him for three years. And I wanted to come to England. My sister was here, um, and I wanted to come and get some work experience. Australia is a great place to live, but it, it's Australia. You can't travel to Europe in one hour or, you know, I wanted to get some experience. So um, I came and I got a job here in um, outsourcing then. So it was really, after I finished my degree and had worked for three years, I thought I'll just go travelling for a bit. And you went to London initially? Yeah, I was in London for eight years. Eight years, right. Yeah. And then what prompted the move to East Yorkshire? So Salesforce was in Australia and then I came and worked in London for a large American outsourcer called ICT Group um, for about, I don't know, I can't even think now, I think how long it was, for well, a long time, eight years, I think. And then um, we decided to set up our own outsource call centre and the other people involved in the setup were from East Yorkshire and we knew that there was loads of available space, good quality labour um, and so we decided to set up in Hull and that in 2006. And Rescue was born. Rescue was born with 15 people. So the name Rescue, is there, any, is there a story behind that? It doesn't really mean anything, um, unfortunately. I think originally somebody told me, um, Matt, one of the uh, co-founders, said it was resourcing cues, but, I mean, it's just ridiculous now. It doesn't mean anything. So <laughs> we tend to say it doesn't really mean anything. But you've built it into a brand. And it's, it's a huge brand a huge in the cities brand. that we're, we're based, yeah. Absolutely. So talk to me about Rescue then. Um, it's enjoying phenomenal growth. Um, you've expanded considerably. So... Um, I fumbled my introduction, apologies for that, but you're, you're based here in Hull in East Yorkshire and you've got two offices or sites here and then you've also got the site in Seaham in Durham. So um, talk to me about the, the current rescue, you know, who are your clients, what sort of work you're doing? So current rescue is based in the old House of Fraser. Hammonds, Hammonds of, Hull, of Hull, I think it is, isn't building, it? Building, <laughs> should know that. Um, and we're just currently fitting out another floor there as well, um, which I'm really excited about because it's a really cool design. Um, so we've got 500 workstations on the first floor and we'll have 550 on the second. Um, and we're currently using some space at Cherry Tree Court, which is the old HMRC building. Um, and is that I the one on Ferrens Way? It's opposite the Hilton. Yes, yes. And then um, up in CM we have uh, Spectrum, we're on Spectrum Business Park and we have five, 440 seats in one building. And we have the opportunity to expand up to 800 across the and another building on the same business park. So how many people are you employing in Rescue? Totally today, around 2,000. 2,000. I mean, that's a huge... You must be one of the city's biggest employers. I think, well, definitely the biggest employer in CM. I can, mm, I can yeah. tell you that. We surpassed Asda some years ago. Um, and in Hull, I'm not 100% sure because of places like Smith and & Nephew mm. and, and things like that. But we're certainly up there with one of the biggest employers. Well, congratulations. I mean, it's a great success story for the city. And on the subject of congratulations, you've been award winning recently, haven't you? Tell us about that. Well, it's really interesting when you get ranked or an award or a recognition for something that you haven't known that you've entered. Um, and we recently were ranked 91 out of 100 on the four entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs uh, list for fast growth and also ranked 15th out of 200 with the JP Morgan uh, survey for businesses powered by women and um, more recently was for um, on, by a company called E2E which is Entrepreneurs for Entrepreneurs 
Um, and this is for obviously businesses that are grown by entrepreneurs or privately owned. And we were ranked 51st out of 100 for, for employee growth. So I was really proud of that one. And also it was a, a bit of a bonus because I got to go for a, a meal at the House of Lords. Was that, that was, it was, was incredible. That, was it? It was absolutely incredible. But the funniest thing was I got on the train at Brough um, to travel down there for the, for this, for the meal. Uh, and um, the woman who'd organised the whole event phoned me up and said, would you be prepared to sit on our panel because someone's fallen out, uh, dropped out last minute? I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to ask me. I don't know what they're going to say. But I said yes. And it was one of the best moments in my professional career. Really? But the questions I got asked were all about our people, how we recruit, how we retain people. And I mean, you don't know me that well, but to be able to stand up there and just be really open and honest, it's quite a different outlook from some of the other people because I'm, I just say it how it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got a lot of really good feedback from that and talking about how we don't CV sift and we just, if someone can, if someone applies for a job with us, then they deserve a telephone interview. I'm not, I'm not interested in their previous history. I'm not interested whether they can write a CV. It's, it's largely irrelevant. Yeah. Particularly, some people don't have people to help them write a CV. Yeah. So it's not important to me. I'm going to hire on attitude and yeah. we'll give you the skills. Yeah. So that that was quite well recognised. And obviously there was people there who are, are listening to this sort of ways of working that haven't experienced it before. Yeah, I agree with you on the attitude point. I mean, you can't. You can't change attitude is the most important thing because you can learn skills, but you can't Absolutely. learn attitude. So, yeah. and you touched on there about retention. Contact centres have a um, a reputation for being maybe a high churn industry, um, but you've done a fantastic job um, attracting employees or uh, staff and then retaining them. So, what makes Rescue different? Do you think from other contact centres? I think we we stand apart from other outsourcers in in my professional opinion because of how we recruit. If if someone comes for an interview with us and they're not successful, we can push them to one of the local colleges to do a course and and people either decide whether or not they want to do that, that's up to them, and then they can reapply. So I think that's that's particularly unique. Um, then followed up by our training, we have the most fantastic um, learning and development gentleman working for us and he's built such great content. And that's not just about what you learn in the first two weeks when you're in a classroom, but it's about how that gets taken out onto the calling floor and what support you get and the academy processes. And those things are hugely important for people to want to stay. So if you, my, what I've always said is if we train people properly and give them the confidence and the self-esteem to work here, they'll stay. And then the ongoing training. So I think that sets us apart as well. But also we have this sort of culture and feel about us that is Although I don't like to say family because we're too big now, but it's a culture where people really do care about each other. I was just going to ask you about the culture. So that's how you describe it then, a caring culture. I wouldn't. I'd use a more Australian term, but I'm not sure it's appropriate for this. <laughs> oh, anything goes on the Pacecast. <laughs> so what we say internally, and we're trying to find a way of professionally putting this across as part of our values. But if I asked anybody in my team or the, the, the leadership team what they think it is that sets us apart, they would say, we give a shit. And, uh, and it's not professional, and I can't say it to clients, but people really do care about each other. They're passionate about the job they do. They don't like to be beaten from, from a competitive point of view by another outsourcer. Um, and this sort of culture means that people will try to do the right thing all of the time. And I think that's what sets us apart. Yeah, well, that sounds like a fantastic environment to work in. So some of your clients, can you share who, who you work with? Yeah, so our biggest client in Hull is Vodafone. So we have about... 
550, maybe 600 people working on Voda. And we won that four years ago, I think, uh, maybe three years ago. And we were one of 21 outsourcers that responded. Um, and we got down to the final two. And a lot of those outsourcers are a lot bigger than us. And I think we were chosen because we, di we were different and because of our passion. And we're, not, we're always innovating. And I think that's what the client, well, I know that's what the client mm. was looking for. Mm. Someone who could do things slightly differently um, and, and help them transform their customer experience. And it is customer services you provide. We do. For it's called TSA, so it's telesales and retention. Right. So it's all existing customer work where we're helping customers make sure they're on the right products. They have the right products that they need in their in their household. What Vodafone are really focused on is is first call resolution and making sure that the customer feels they're being listened to. Yeah, and you work with some other high profile names yeah, as so well, don't you? British Gas, um, Uswitch, which obviously aren't switching at the moment, but fingers crossed, we'll come back soon. WorldPay, Cefe, which was used to be Gazprom, but obviously rebranded. So again, congratulations on your success. And I'm particularly interested in your story as a female leader. You talked earlier about winning the award. Um, so I've been ranked in the award, should I say. Um, so going back to your childhood and growing up in Australia, has, was there anything that inspired you or started you off on a, a career path that where you thought, I want to run a business or I want to work in a particular sector? Or, well, what, for example, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Did you have a... Strangely enough, I've got a science degree with a with a double major in psychology. Okay. Um, and at the time, I the thing was, I went to uni, I was 17. So I finished school, studying uni at 17, and it's still quite young, isn't it, to try and decide what it is that you want to do. Um, and when I finished uni, uh, one of my dad's friends, the company that he worked for was an ad advertising agency called DDB Needham. And he they were involved in this outsourced call centre that was being set up by the chap I mentioned earlier, Kevin and he said you should go for it and I got a job working there on the phones um and I really enjoyed it to be honest I really enjoyed it but so were you selling or were you inbound it was it was Flyvise, which was Australia's first loyalty programs points loyalty programs right. for shopping in the supermarket petrol that kind of thing um and I will never forget the first call I ever took was a customer properly shouting at me and I think you have to retain these things for the job I do now but while I was there uh being Jill, I got a little bit bored, so I wrote a training manual for the systems and did a few bits and pieces. And then I got promoted to running, which is also really random, their nerve center. So it was all the MI, all of the all the number crunching, basically, mm. for the call center. Um, and I, re I really, really enjoyed it. So when I came to England, um, I got the job at ICT Group and worked in there for eight years. And I think the thing with contact centers is you can be a young person and if you want to progress, you can. And so I, I feel like, yes, it was a bit of luck, but I also put a lot of effort into it as well, um, into learning different things and being promoted, you know, up through the ranks. So when yeah. I was in London, I was running the UK and Ireland call centres. And I've had some great bosses along the way, but I have to say, and I know this is a cliche, but my dad is the person who said, you know, you can be anything you want to mm. be. And I'll give you an example. This wasn't just for me. When my brother was diagnosed um, as being profoundly deaf, they went to a, a meeting for parents of deaf kids and they said, don't expect too much from your deaf child. Oh. They're never going to be able to progress. They're never going to be normal. Remember, it's the 70s. Yeah. So put it into context. Probably get, wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed to say that now. And my dad got so cross. He stood up and he said some expletives and he said, my son's going to fly the Concorde and walked out. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's I've an incredible got goosebumps. Story. 
And that's the kind of way we were raised. My mum, my mum's got a PhD. She got it in her 60s. And I think being around professional women, other professional women, um, and also the influence of, of my, my dad and people I've met along the way, I never saw it as a gender issue. No. I just thought this is what I want to do. Mm. And if you put the effort in, you can go and do it. So your parents, are they still in Australia then? Yes. Oh, they must be incredible. You've talked about how proud you are of your daughters. They must be incredibly proud of what you've achieved. Yeah, I send them a few bits and pieces. I'm sure. Yeah. You must send them the link to this podcast. I will do. I will. <laughs> um, so proudest achievement thus far? Clearly there's going to be more ahead, but up until now? I am, professionally wise, I'm so proud of my team. Mm. We have built an incredible senior leadership team. We're only small um, the trust, loyalty, passion, commitment that we all have together. Um, a wise man once said to me, um, always employ people who have different skills or are better at stuff than you. Mm. And I think that makes you a good leader because if you just recruit people who are like you, who know the same stuff, or don't be same old, feel same threatened old. by someone yeah. who has a better skill. And my team all have different skills from me and are all are better than me at things. Mm. But to get collectively, we're an incredible team. And I think the way we lead the business as well in terms of setting the vision the honesty, I probably overshare with people what, what we want to achieve and where we're going and new business wins, but it means that everyone gets excited about the same things. Yeah. And we can really pull the business forward from a, a people point of view, but obviously we have to be profitable as well. So everyone's focusing on all of it by setting that vision at the beginning of every year. So just, I just want to explore that a little bit further. So you talked about the complementary skills of the, of the leadership team. So what would you say is your strength personally? What, what are you particularly good at? I think I think what people would say about me in the other regard is yeah. that we talk about things, we're honest with each other, and they can go off and have the freedom to make change and and make different choices, and and that creates loyalty. Yeah. So you're happy to delegate? I don't need to delegate because we're making we're doing everything together. Right. So if we come up with an idea, I was in a meeting before I came here actually about L and D, and they're like, we want to buy an LMS system, which is a an automated training system where everything's ba- housed. And I said, well, why aren't you doing it? And they said, it's £30,000 a year. And I said, so what? Put together a, a business case, tell me the ROI, and we'll, we'll look at it. Don't be held back by, by the financial constraints of, you know, if, if we can add a value, if we can showcase this to prospective clients or existing clients, we should just be doing it. So they're going to present to me next Thursday on their plan. Yeah. So it's the, I think it's that sort of approach. Is you want something, you show me how it's going to add value and we'll make it happen. And so, it's actually true, by the way. This does actually happen all the time. <laughs> um, you said the, you, the vision, you're very open about the vision for the, for the company and it's a very much a team effort. So uh, can you share with us what the vision is for Rescue the next few years? Obviously, it's going really well um, at the moment. So when, when, when we set the vision, we set a financial uh, vision or we set a budget, obviously, like everybody else. We get the leadership team to then buy into that and say, what else do you think that we could do on top of this? Or how can we add and drive extra value? So that's one part of the vision. And then we talk about other parts of the vision are around the leadership development program that we've created, which is, which is incredible. The leadership prep program, which is for succession planning. So one of our values or things that we try and do is to rec- recruit from within I like to do homegrown talent, which I know is an Aussie mm, term, but mm. we will, I think 90% of our team leaders have come off the phones and so mm. on and so on up, up the ranks. So, Which is where you started. Yeah, and don't ever forget, because you can't forget what it felt like. Mm. If you forget what you feel, what it felt like, you can't help the people. No. Um, but, that, but I think that makes the best leadership, though, if you've been on the front line in whatever industry you've been and, and 
you know, earned your stripes doing whatever it is. You have to understand you have the to pain. Understand it, yeah. 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 Or the joy, whichever yeah. way it comes. Highs and so, lows. Yeah, highs and lows, exactly. So yeah, the, the 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 all the vision is always around the people strategy. So we have KPIs like everybody else, what we want attrition to look like, what we want these number of people with over one year tenure and things like that. But the big focus this year has been on succession planning because we are expected to grow, expecting to grow rapidly in the last two quarters of the year. Um based on the energy market returning. So our original plan had something like we need 51 team leaders by the end of the year and how are we going to do that and how are we going to make sure we're ready? Because if we launch an energy program and we don't have the management, we don't have the right team leaders, it's going to fail from the beginning. And do you see growth happening primarily here in East Yorkshire then? You've got your two sites here in Hull um, and then the one in the northeast. Or do you see growth happening elsewhere in the UK? Good question. We'll fill our capacity in Hull definitely, um, which will be a 1,000 seats. Um, we have, as I said, in, in CM440, that's already full, and then space across the road, which is flexible space, so we can ramp up and ramp down. We could add 240 seats in a two-week period if we wanted to. It will be split across both sides because of the types of clients need to be split. Mm. They can't be in the same building. Yeah, yeah. And... How are you finding, I mean, uh, some of the people I've interviewed on the Pacecast, we've all got similar challenges, which is around recruitment. Um, how do you find recruiting talent in, I'm talking whole area specifically, I know you've got the, the CM site, but how do you find recruitment? We don't have any challenges recruiting. For what I said earlier around, we don't CV sift. So you're not precluded because you haven't got a glossy CV. Um but if we're looking for, that's for the agent population and the people yeah. who want to come in. We hire graduates, we hire um, early retired people, more mature people, young people. You just have to be 18. Um, but I don't have any rules around that. What about the working from home um, landscape that we're currently all navigating? How does that impact you? Most of my it... guys want to be in the office because yeah. their friends are there and, yeah. and actually it's a nicer environment. A lot of people really didn't like covid they were working from their bedroom and, and so on. And it's just socially, our guys are sociable people mm. and they want to be in a social environment. However, we do have 25% of people who have elected to stay at home. And that's completely fine with me. That's up to you. Um, and you can So is home. this working from home all the time or is it yeah, just... all the time. All right. And this is on the phones doing... Mm -hmm. the, okay. Yeah. That surprises me because I thought they'd, like you said, would want to be in the with everyone else, getting people, the buzz of the office. Yeah, and most people do, but some people want to be have quiet. So if you're selling um, on behalf of one of our energy clients and you're selling to an SME, you know, and you're doing a lot of work on that particular um, deal to help that customer get the best um, tariffs or whatever that's available, it's completely okay for you to be at home. So how do you manage or preserve the culture if you've got, do you say 25% of your agents are working from home? Sometimes we get them to come in, like if we're doing a hog roast day or we're doing an incentive day, they, they can come in for that. They can come in if they want. It's completely up to them. But a lot of these guys are tenured as well, been with us some time. Right. But so that's, that, that, we don't do hybrid working in that language that everyone uses it because, but what we do allow is for people who, one of the things I felt very strongly about after COVID is we've trusted you all to work at home for all of this time. And now we're saying, come back to the office if you want, but you don't have to. But that flexibility that people had, so if you're a back-to-work mum and your child's got chickenpox or your fridge blows up and you're getting a new one delivered, 
you'd have to take a full day off work. Right. Whereas before, you would have just worked from home mm. and, and gone and opened the door and let the fridge man in. Do you see yeah, what I mean? Or yeah. put your kid in front of a, a DVD or something. Well, yeah. Sky. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what we developed is something called Road, which is rescue on any device, which means your computer is in the office at your desk. That's, that's where you normally come. But if for a reason, for any reason you need to be at home, but you can work from home, but you can't come in, we can activate your own device to work for that particular day for you to work from so home. So it's almost like they're physically in the office from a device device point of view, but they're sat They're at sat home. at home, mm. but the, the difference is I don't have to provide two PCs. Right, because I was going to ask you about that from a technical point of view, because obviously call centres are highly technical. So you can replicate what they have at their desk in the office at home. Yes. Virtually. Virtually, just for a period of time. So in the morning you would ring in and say, I can't come in today, my child's got chicken pox. We'd say, okay. And then you would click on a portal or an app and it would open the portal. And it's called Rescue Anyway. And you go right. in there and everything's there for you. And at the end of the day, it, for security reasons, it just cuts off yeah. unless you ring in again tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but this gives incredible flexibility to people, mm. which I think is hugely important because mm. I can work from home if my daughter's ill. Why can't they? Yeah. And it's something that we, we, we worked on. Giles Cook, who's our CTO, has done an incredible job of locking it down and making it secure to you know the highest standards possible to allow people to to be able to do that and do they need a particular device have you supplied tablets or something we haven't supplied anything the, right. the thing is it's your own device but we can tell you whether your device is good enough okay okay so some people don't but then we have salary sacrifice scheme and they could buy one through that yeah. if they wanted to and we would provide the headset they're not a huge mm. amount of money mm. um, but yeah you can just log on and work from home we can see everything anyway we've got all the visibility yeah. to see what people are doing from home but I just think it gives that extra edge that you can and have probably that differentiates you from other uh, contact centres, like you were saying earlier. Well, we're not stuck into the hybrid business, mm. you know, where you have a computer at home and a computer in the office. That that doesn't work. Certainly not from an employer point of view, because it, it's double the cost. It, exactly. So it, it's an incredible solution. Yeah, and we're really proud of it. So you've clearly got the tech nailed at Rescue, which is a big challenge for most businesses. Uh, is there anything that does keep you awake at night? I think as any employer of a lot of people, it's the continuous raise, rising of national minimum wage and how you keep on top of that with your clients and your client contracts and mm. your RPI clauses. I think that's tough. That's tough as a business owner because you've got, we've got generations of people working for us, you know, grandparents, the parents, the, the kids. We have someone's grandkids working for us. Do you know what I mean? So you're responsible for a lot of people's mortgages or rent yeah. or, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes when you sit up and have a bit of perspective on the number of jobs you have, it can be feeling a bit frightening. I don't know how you sleep because I think about the responsibility I've got and there's only 28 of us at Pace and you've got thousands, literally thousands of mortgages you're responsible for. <laughs> I think I'm okay with it because I'm confident that the job we do is a good job and we've, yeah. we've got long-term tenured contracts. It's just you know, the political landscape, uh, rising cost of living. You need to be able to pay your people what they deserve. To, to, for them to be able to afford their lifestyle too yeah and that's something we're really passionate about and I try and do it through um, uncapped commissions so that people have an opportunity to earn as much as possible uh, but I don't want to be a minimum wage employer either mm. so the government mandated rises in national minimum wage are sometimes challenging yeah I can imagine I can imagine so very successful career um, anything looking back now in the benefit of hindsight anything you would have done differently from a rescue point of view, yeah. I would 100% have got a finance director from day one. 
Okay, that's interesting. So when did you invest in an FD? A lot later down the line. Right. Um, it's, it's, this isn't about managing the day-to-day. You know, if, if you ask me or anyone in my team, we know all the numbers all of the mm. time, everywhere, about anything to do with anything. But I think just the future looking when you're going, when you're a business that's rapidly expanding, um, it's cash, cash yeah. management, yeah. and being able to look around that corner, whether it's in six months' time or 12 months' time, and say, where do we need to be? Yeah, the planning. And, and I think mm. that that rapid growth and, you know, you, you need to be prepared. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's um, it's more than just, as you say, keep making and keeping an eye on the numbers. It's that predicting what's going to come and, you know, we're really good at forecasting and planning. We've done next year's numbers, which are incredible in terms of growth. And it's what do we need alongside that to make sure we can deliver. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question that I'm going to ask you is, if you could change one thing about yourself, what do you think you really, what, what do you say? Like, you know, when you're 12, you say, I don't like my ears or, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't like my fingernails or something like that. My daughter hates her feet. Um, I, I don't know I really don't know because I, I could have said a couple of years ago because I'm quite fiery maybe I could calm down a little bit but then I think if I calm down a little bit would I have achieved what we've achieved as a business so it's, it's a very very difficult question uh, Do you maybe, think you wouldn't have, maybe you wouldn't have spent so long in the sun when I was a teenager <laughs> that's your Aussie influence though <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. oh actually they're very good though at the sun cream aren't they now very good, yeah. Yeah, but the better than Back we in are. the day, factor yeah. two and off you go. Do you think you're a typical Australian? Not anymore, no. I've been here too long. Yeah. <laughs> it's been beaten out of me. Yeah. Well, Australia's loss is our gain, and it's been fantastic talking to you. So um, I feel like I've got to know you a lot more. So thank you for your time today. It's been fascinating learning more about you and the success of Rescue. I wish you all the best for Rescue going forward. Um, I'm sure it will continue to thrive under your leadership and it's a, a real asset to the area. And I think it, a lot of people don't realise about the success of Rescue. So um, congratulations. Now, it is our tradition to ask you a question to finish that has been left by our previous guest. The previous guest didn't know who was going to be on today. Um, so it's a very general question. Um, and the question is, I'm sorry you've not had any time to prepare for it. Uh, what does a responsible business mean to you? And as a leader, what do you think your role is? Responsible business to me is looking after your, your people all of the time and never letting them down and f doing what you say you're going to do. Because without, for, for us, without our people, we don't have a business. So being responsible about everything, paying them when we say we're going to pay them, train them how we say we're going to train them and look after them and be there for them for non-work related stuff. Um, we've just launched Moojis at work where people can score their mood when they come in. Moojis? Yeah, it's obviously like emojis. It's not yeah. very innovative. But um, if someone comes in and they feel sad or nervous, we know about it and we can help them. And I think... This might not be work-related. Sorry to interrupt. Is it something they log technically or is it something... Is no, it a button they press? Button on their oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. on Rescue Anywhere. And because one thing I've said to everybody, if someone comes in and they're in a bad mood or they're in a great mood, we should know about it. And it might be something that's not work-related. The bus might be late or they might have had a fight with their teenage daughter or whatever it is. We can talk to them about it, especially with given mental health. I think being responsible means looking after everyone and making sure that they are respected and cared for in the way they need. 
And I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, and that comes across. Good. Yeah. Excellent. What was the second half of the question? I didn't um, answer that. And your role as a leader, which I think I, you've... I think I'll cover that. You've covered that. So, yeah. No, great. Thanks, Jill. I really enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. That's it for this month. Um, I hope you enjoyed this month's episode. I look forward to seeing you again next month. In the meantime, if you've got any comments, any questions, or any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview on the Pacecast, please let us know via our normal social media channels. And until next month, it's bye-bye from me. This Pacecast was recorded and produced by Engine 7 Audio, award-winning audio production.